welcome to a new episode of the Glass Ceiling Podcast from Startup Daily. My name is Gina Baldessari, and my guest on this episode was Ruth Hatherley, who is the founder and CEO of Moneycatcher. Moneycatcher is a regtech startup out of Western Australia that provides a real-time blockchain solution for regulatory and compliance reporting. So after growing up on a farm, Ruth spent her career at Commonwealth Bank and Mortgage Choice in WA before coming up with Moneycatcher and deciding to go all in on the startup, leaving all the corporate benefits behind and investing her life savings to make it happen. With the business now working with the likes of HSBC, I had a chat with Ruth about her career in finance, the current financial services landscape and the understanding of blockchain within it and the process of growing the startup. Have a listen. Ruth, thank you so much for joining me. You are the founder and CEO of Moneycatcher, um, a, would you say, fintech or regtech startup? I think we originally started as a fintech startup and now we're very heavily in the regtech space as well, so you can call us both. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I am very interested to know, so you grew up on a farm in Western Australia and... um, then you know growing up then moved into the financial services space when you started working so what got you uh you know interested in in the finance space from your background again growing up on a farm yeah did you think banking corporate (laughs) um i didn't growing up on a farm so when i i grew up yeah on a farm down south of western australia and i actually went to boarding school uh, for my high school years it was tradition in our family that you you went away and got educated and um whilst i was there i uh started to really i actually gravitated to the arts um was my original space and i went into uni and realized that my whole learning style was uh, practical based as opposed to theoretical based and so some things happened in my private life um, we had some tragedy in my family and and I that coupled with not com- being comfortable in the learning style of, of university I left and started working at the Commonwealth Bank one of the big four banks um, and although you go there to start in finance I started as a back office clerk the job doesn't even exist today it was a little lowly job filing and answering phones um, but what I found is that whilst you're dealing with money and in finance, you're actually helping people achieve their dreams. And that really, really resonated with me. So I kind of gravitated into the, the lending stream of the bank. And when you're in the bank, there's many streams you can go down. Um, and I really quickly progressed through that because I loved it. I loved watching people being able to um, fulfill that, you know, the Australian dream of buying a house and saving the money and, and, and achieving their dream. And so it was actually during that process um, that I saw what it looked like when it worked and then I saw what it looked like when it didn't um, and I moved from that into the broker space. So um, I've spent 22 years in finance um, but my core, if you want to link it back to being on a farm, the, the, the things that we really grew up with, the values that we had and that my family taught me we were all around being able to help the community. It was very, very community-based and very much around making sure that people were able to have the best that, that, they, that they wanted to achieve. And I think those values came through um, in what I was able to achieve in finance and, and really in the specific space of um, mortgage origination and, and home lending. Then how did you go from 
working with Combank and uh, Mortgage Choice, was mm, it? Yeah. yeah. What led you to think, I want to, where did the idea for Money Catcher come from? Yeah. And what sort of pushed you to think like, yes, this is something that I should pursue? Yeah, so it was a combination of things. Um, in Western Australia in about 2006, 2005 was huge boom time. So um, it was massive unprecedented volumes which put significant pressure on not just the bank I worked for but all banks in that state. Um, and the processes, the back office processes were falling apart because they were highly manually um, intensive, labour intensive. And so I decided when I went into the aggregation space that Surely the banks that I'd been exposed to um, were unique and that the rest of the market had got the process better. And what I found during the next 11 years was that of the 30 or 40 lenders that I dealt with on the panel um, in the aggregation space, no one particular lender had got the process right 100% of the time. And it's because it was still highly manual and that the technology existed in parts or components of the process but no one had actually fixed the end-to-end -end origination journey. And the thing that we hear about a lot is the customer's frustration, but it's actually equally frustrating for the internal um, staff inside of those banks. They don't like the fact that it's, you know, that the process is delayed or that they have a backlog. Or... And so for me, I came at it from a holistic point of view of if you could create a solution that stitched all of the digital workflows together, um, you could really fix a mess in the market. And uh, I was speaking to somebody about this um, and about my idea, who is now my chief strategy officer of my company, and he said, have you heard of blockchain technology? And the joke is that, you know, I say, uh, I didn't even know how to update my iPhone, mate, so what is this blockchain technology you speak of? We then spent eight months um, really investigating the appropriateness of permission-based private blockchain capabilities in the loan origination space. Um, and that was where the, the, the beauty of, of the Money Catcher really was the idea didn't just actually come from, I've got this really cool piece of technology and I want to be able to sell it. It came from a place where I wanted to fix a problem and I still want to fix that problem, not just in Australia, but on a, on a global basis. Um, and the technology that we've chosen and the way that we've subsequently architected and built the solution means that we don't just fix a loan origination challenge in this country and, and globally, we can also fix a compliance and regulation um, challenge, which is very poignant right at this point in time, but can create a transparency and trust that this market is in, in need of being able to deliver um, in a superior way than what's being done now. What was it like for you um, hearing about this blockchain technology and hearing that this could be a potential way to solve this problem that you're seeing and you know then having to be like okay if I want to do this I have to like learn all about this very complex yeah. you know technology yeah look it's a great question and um, I spoke before about the framework of education inside the university system didn't uh, sort of align with the way that I learn practical based learning is how I learn um, and when I have an application for the learning and I understand that it makes sense in a real world situation I absorb I have a real thirst for that um, and the more that I learnt 
um, about what was available and where blockchain was going and about the spectrum. So you have Bitcoin at one end of the spectrum and cryptocurrencies, but the spectrum is huge. And, and the, the length of that spectrum and the use case adaptability wasn't well publicised back in 2015 when I um, first started sort of investigating it. And so it was really cool finding out that there was a, a beautiful use case sitting inside of our industry that was very different to the way that it was being perceived and, and presented in the market. Um, and so I found it really, really interesting and I found the more that I researched, the more that it just made sense that this could be a new way of fixing a problem. Not, I wasn't coming at it from fixing at it for the bank and I wasn't coming at it just fixing it. I didn't want it to just be a B2C solution um, and I didn't want it to just be a B2B solution. I wanted the industry to really have a paradigm shift in the way things were done and that's where that was, you know, the workflow exists in the market today and there are other platforms to debate. But what the blockchain piece does is enables it to be an ecosystem solution. And that for me was what was really, really exciting. I was going to make a difference. And what was it like, I guess, what was the lead up like to, you know, as you learned about this technology, deciding, yes, this is viable and you're going in on this full time? Yeah, um, really interesting. I mean, it's not a journey I'd ever done before, you know. I'd, I'd had two jobs in my whole adult life, really. Um, and they were both PA wagey jobs and I was really comfortable. So um, I, I sort of, I was at a time in my life where I was, there were changes going on um, and I had an opportunity to be able to fund this myself. Um, I had sort of my life savings, six figures in the bank and I was like, right, what am I going to do here? Am I just going to keep going down this path of corporate life or, or could I really make a difference and I had some really key people around me that believed um, in me and I did my due diligence in terms of what would a prototype look like, what would that cost um, and who would I be able to speak to about that if I actually got that up and running and, um, and so I took the punt at that point in time and invested in myself and the idea and didn't pay myself, I just put it all on, spent it all on the technology um, and what that allowed me to do is be able to test the market and the people that I knew in the market with something that I could show um, that was a concept, more than just a concept. It wasn't just words on a page. It was, here's what it will look like and here's the technological architecture um, and here's what I'm prepared to do. But the key piece for me in all of that, in being able to move from idea prototype discussion, was I understood the market. So I knew the size of the market, I knew what the problem would mean if we fixed it, what that would mean to the incumbents, so to the banks, how would that be valuable to them, what it would mean to the consumer, and then how the regulator would benefit from that as well. And when I had that picture all mapped out plus the technology, I had a much stronger story than just trying to sell an idea. And um, that made sense to me from a business perspective in how I'd done business before. Um, and so I think having all of doing all of that preparation and investing in that um, before going to investors or anyone else was a really key component um, of being able to move into the next steps and leverage investment. You know, as you mentioned, as you sort of went about looking how to build a prototype and, and sort of take that to people, what were those initial sorts of conversations like as you explored, you know, what the sort of industry reaction or um, appreciation for this sort of product? Um, 
when you have uh, highly creative uh, first-to-market technology, our tech technology is patent, patented, so what we would was truly inventive. Um, it's a really interesting uh, spectrum of, of discussion. So people that got it really got it. Um, and so we were fortunate to have some people that got it early on in the right types of organisations. Um, I had a, a relationship with uh, KPMG in Western Australia through uh, the sort of their consulting and accounting arm. That enabled me to have some discussions over here uh, from a from a uh, sort of a, a national perspective, um, and we were uh, able to get inside their innovator program back in 2016, which put me in front of an audience of mutual banks uh, quite early on, um, and so that was a that we took that prototype in, into that process. Um, and it was because we had done the, the amount of work that we had done at that time. We were the only blockchain solution that went into that and only loan origination solution that went into that, that was ready at that time. Um, and so it gave me a platform to have that discussion. Um, and again, the reason we were able to do that is because we understood the problem we were solving and what that problem looked like for those individuals. And the other key piece that enabled those discussions to progress was everybody in my organisation has domain expertise in financial services. So we could stand in front of CTOs, CIOs, um, chief risk officers, you know, head of marketing, head of implementation or business development, and kind of say, we think that this problem exists inside your organisation like this. Um, and so if we were able to drive this level of value or this level of gain or efficiency or return on investment, how would that be of value to you? Um, and that's a really, you need to research. That's probably one of the key tips I can give is research your audience and research the language that they speak in because we really were able to sit down and talk on a granular level of we know that this is a pain point at this point at this stage and your back office might X, Y, Z. It's just an example. But um, speaking their language enables you to get on a level playing field. And so what you're not trying to overcome the barrier of language or technology, you're actually coming overcoming the same barrier or the problem together. Um, that was really, really useful for us. And what was it like? You know, you mentioned before that um, you've had two jobs in your adult life, mm. both with quite, you know, large companies. There's a lot of security that comes with that. You left to invest your sort of life savings, and for a, a long time of that, it was, you know, working to develop the technology and the product and do that research. And unpaid. Exactly. You know, <laughs> what was it like, you know, having to know I guess that there's no money coming in that it's not ready to bring a customer in yet you know that there's no money like coming through what, what was that like for you um, yeah, it's tough. Um, I'm, I also have a child, so I have a daughter and so um, and I support her so um, that was uh, that's always in the back of my mind am I am I doing the right thing to create a future for her that's actually the that's actually my driving force so everything about me is being able to create a future for my daughter and I that is better than the one that I had and my parents gave me a lovely life and I would love to give her an even better one um, and I surrounded myself with everybody in I'm I'm absolutely generally not the smartest person in the room, so I generally make sure that I find people that are smarter than me and better than me at the bits um, that I don't know how to do. What I was 100% certain in is 
I had seen so much of this mess inside this industry um, and that the people, the Australian consumers, deserved a better way of being able... You should be able to move from one bank to another overnight. You should have that choice. And you should be able to move into your brand-new home next week if you really want to. Um, and that's, that's really what drove me. Um, those two things, primarily the money wasn't the driving factor and in fact the numbers when we sort of started working them out I, I didn't really believe them in the beginning because of the size of the market and, and what it looks like then the surrounding myself with the right people and and making sure that those people believed a hundred percent in my vision as well um, everyone that's joined my company has taken a pay cut to join my company um, and they've done that because they believe in the long-term vision and I think that that's really really it's beautiful. It's a real testament to the fact that they are willing to stand. We're stand together, and, and we solve. You know, take this to market together. Um, and so I lean on them a lot. You know, I, I do expect a lot. We do. We run fast. We're a startup that runs at pace, and and we do do the agile methodology. You know, to the to the fullest extent. And we challenge organisations to move as fast as us as well, because this change requires pace. But in return, um, the 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 way that we work together as an organisation and support each other is really what has got me through. Um, and, and having some key people in the industry believe in what we were doing from the very beginning gave me that reassurance that, you know, when you're creating cutting-edge technology, that there is a lag. There's a, The first thing that people do is disbelieve you and then there's a lag into the, the support. And so we just have to ride that wave. And you mentioned... Um that you challenge the organisations you work with to work as fast as Money Catcher does. How do you, you know, sort of assess or, or um, determine whether an organisation is, you know, willing and able to do that and that this is worth a, a relationship worth pursuing? So that is a really good question. Um, you have to have a lot of conversations. The, the, the reality is is when you're dealing with a very large organisation, there are a number of conversations that you need to have um, to in order to get stakeholder engagement. Um, with what we do, we actually cut across a number of um, different divisions in the organisation. So part of what we do isn't just deploying our technology inside an environment, but we do a lot of... Um, we use a lot of our expertise in terms of being able to bring people on that journey and to help organisations transform themselves from the old waterfall style of engagement to an agile environment. And part of our engagements and our statements of work are around not even just the technology build, but how we can help the organisation through that process, how we can help them realise the business case of what sits behind what we do. Because to be quite honest, a lot of organisations haven't had to do it to the scale of what we cut across. Um, not so much with the home chain platform, that's quite easy in terms of loan origination, but with reg chain, we, we, our, we drive primarily um, compliance and risk value immediately, but because of the way that we aggregate, cleanse and improve the quality of data and turns data into an asset in a single source for an organisation to use, we drive value to finance and risk um, into their sort of liquidity security sections and into retail and also into IT. Now to get all of those stakeholders in the room and to be able to have those conversations, 
you need to have the domain expertise across all of those sections to sit there and respectfully speak to a CTO, a CEO, a CRO and a COO. Um, and, and so to get to that level, you need to have a number of conversations to get there as well. So this is a, it's definitely a journey. Um, and so you need to get the engagement with the people that are going to implement the, the, the actual platform and you need to get engagement from the people that are going to sign off the budget. And so it, isn't, it definitely isn't like going in and buying a mobile phone where you speak to one person and get your phone. This is a technology inside the finance industry that is challenging um, or innovative and different to the way that they do things now, it does require a journey of conversations. And how have you seen awareness or understanding of what you're doing and even, you know, sort of this technology um, evolve since you first started working on it? Like, you know, are you still having to do a lot of education for people that you speak to or is there a growing understanding of it? There's two parts to that question. Um, if I can break them down. One is is the education of blockchain specifically um, that has been a journey and evolved over two years. And the other part is the need for innovation in regulation in this country. And I think, and then the third part is innovation in mortgage origination. And that one I'll leave till after because the evolution of understanding of blockchain has definitely been, um, especially in the beginning, there was so much fear around it because everyone felt cryptocurrency was block was blockchain, and there was absolutely no understanding of a small amount of understanding around the difference between private and permission-based blockchain and what the different providers like Hyperledger and Ethereum and now Corda are actually um, doing in that space. So that was one part of it. Um, we were very, very lucky that, um, well not lucky, we were um, fortunate that um, the CIO of HSBC got that in the very beginning and saw the advantages of that. So that was a really lovely um, way for us to be able to go down that path and prove the progression of that technology and how valuable it is. Um, so that, that's moved now away from the having to disarm the fear around it to actually there's a lot more understanding. We now talk about uh, what are the benefits of it as opposed to why would I even use it. That, that's that progress. The risk and compliance path has been obviously driven by you know many contributing factors in the environment at the moment, um, which are... Uh, the ones that I saw coming were open banking, uh, comprehensive credit reporting, and obviously the national payments system. And in amongst all of that, um, APRA's changes in the EFS came as well. Obviously know that the Royal Commission's there as well, but that wasn't really one of the factors that I had um, sort of knew about or relied upon. These others, they were all coming anyway. Um, and so those forces were, were creating a... Um, a requirement of organisations to really look inward and the increased OPEX spend on compliance and risk, it needed to be viewed differently um, and it needs to be viewed as an investment of growing safely and that's what we see RegTech enabling is being able to have um, and we talk, I've talked about this with the guys from the RegTech Association is around RegTech really should be an enabler for 
more trusted and transparent regulation and compliance that can eventually drive growth safely for financial institutions in this country. And I think that's a, a beautiful path if we can get ourselves onto that. The need for mortgage origination change to me is still an extremely important factor that needs to be addressed in, in um, not just this country but globally. But I think if we fix regulation and compliance first, um, then the mortgage origination will, will be a lovely peripheral that consumers can then really benefit from when, you know, get the houses in order and then we can, uh, so to speak, well, pardon the pun, <laughs> um, but yeah, get the financial houses in, in really working tip-top shape from a compliance perspective and then let's increase the volumes and that would be great. You are obviously here with us in Sydney today. Um, and you mentioned before that you, um, you know, come up to do work from Sydney every so often, but you're based in Perth. Mm. I think Sydney and Melbourne like to think that fintech or regtech innovation cannot happen outside <laughs> these two cities. Mm. Um, what has it been like for you, um, you know, developing and, and working on Money Catcher from Perth? Um, yeah, so our team are spread across the country so and, and across the world, actually. So I have um, uh, team members in London, Queensland, New South Wales, Western Australia, um, and clients, you know, all over the country. So um, for us, it's... My, my hometown where I grew up on the farm was 800 kilometres away from Perth. Um, my chief strategy officer lives in London and I can drive from one part of, of the UK to the bottom in 800 k's, you know, across the whole country. You don't even get outside our state in WA. So for me, distance has always been a part of my life. Um, it used to take me 10 hours to get home on the bus on school holidays. So I um, to get on a plane, and I come across here fortnightly at, at the very least frequency and more often depending upon client demand. Um, and I've, I've grown up in Western Australia where we have a, a more of a, I guess, a, I believe the statistic is that there's more entrepreneurs per capita in Western Australia and Queensland than the other states. I don't, don't quote me on that, but um, or re delete it if it's not correct. But, but I think, and I think Western Australia has a pioneering uh, kind of attitude. There's you know so much resource boom, and through that resource boom, and so many startup and um, you know junior miners and things like that over there. I. We just take as, as, a, as a given that um, the population lives on the East Coast and we have to travel to them. That's kind of just an attitude that I have. So it never really was a barrier for me. What I knew is that this challenge that I was solving was systemic across the whole of the country and banks are the same, even though we have nuances. So for example, we have different titling offices in each state, um, but the process is still the same. So if you solve the problem, uh, in a process perspective um, and you can change components of that process so that it's nuanced to the state, um, then that means that you do have a national or global solution. Um, so yeah, I just think for us it's just, distance is just a given. Um, we are a organisation that is spread across the country. We we mitigate that by having a lot of digital connection, virtual connection, um, and we speak often via many different platforms to ensure that we remain connected. And it's my job as a CEO and founder to be the glue and to keep 
the organisation together. So it's part of my role is to be here with the team when they're on doing important things and it's also important for me to actually meet face-to-face with the clients so they know where the idea came from. And on you know the topic of the team, you mentioned before that um, some of your staff had taken a pay cut to work at Money Catcher and you know, but they're there because they've bought into the vision and they believe in it. Um, you know, which is very important in startups and small business. And then you know, you look at companies working in towers like these and hear of all the benefits they get. Which I'm sure you know, working for Combank and that kind of thing, you probably had. Um, how do you, you know, keep that? Um, the belief that your team has sort of going and, and you know what do you have I guess you know yeah. when you don't have those those kinds of benefits I think you see in um, this what, what we do what we do is not, not original I mean uh, just for laughs and to ch- to to put my story against um, other ones globally. I watch Silicon Valley for for, for comedy relief, um, but you'll see inside those types of shows um, where they have schemes that uh, that enable the. Um, encouragement of your teams and we've adopted those types of schemes inside our organization um, and we make sure that um, that there are that they are tailored to encouraging people for the little milestones that achievements that we have along the way so we we don't um, in the most one of the most recent episodes I watched a Silicon Valley uh, the the guy from Hawley has the discussion around you know you guys just stay here for your four years until your shares vest and I think that that's a really poor example <laughs> of how you incentivize staff I think that you need to you really need to let the the team come along the journey with you and you need to reward them for their contribution to that to that journey um, and when you're a startup you are there iterations of your platform and or whatever it is that you're you're building there are different versions of customer engagement and you need to be um, open enough to be able to look at each of those scenarios and say where in here does the team need to be rewarded and how could we do that and sometimes that isn't monetary sometimes it is we need to work for you know two weeks straight in order to deliver something but then go on leave and I won't take you any I won't I won't take any take any of your annual leave days or so these types of things aren't always about what can I financially put in their pocket because when you're a startup and you're bootstrapped there isn't money to give away you don't pay yourself sometimes or a lot of the time and so you're often paying people over yourself and and so it's important um, that you look to be creative in that but you actually sit down with them in the very beginning when you're recruiting them and say this is the lay of the land. I'm being completely transparent with you. You know, all the executives see our cash flow in our company. They know what that looks like um, because it's important for me that they understand um, a how the company is travelling, but b that that we're transparent and that we are really trying to go on a journey together. And on that journey, what do the next sort of six to twelve months look like for you guys? What are you aiming for? Yeah, so uh, we're really aiming for two things in parallel. Um, We know now that we've got um, a solution that is globally relevant. Um, but my my what sits at the core of my heart is being able to solve the challenges inside the Australian um, community financial services industry, which is what I originally started to do. Um, the interesting thing is is that the GFC brought about a different 
type of environment in different jurisdictions globally. And so there is different levels of appetite around fixing compliance and regulation issues and also mortgage origination. And there's also different attitudes towards investment. And so what we have spent a lot of time doing this year is researching all of that and being able to deliver that as a strategy um, simultaneously from a domestic and a, and a global level and, and that's what we're, we're really activating at the moment. We have a unique opportunity in the country at the moment in that we have, it's an awareness in the industry wide that there is a need for innovation and, and change, specifically around regulation and compliance. Um, and I have been lucky enough to be involved in conversations with the regulators, you know, ASIC and APRA and Austrac and at conferences and in their working groups. And I think that we are in a really unique situation, especially with associations like the RegTech Association as well, working alongside these regulators and inviting the industry to participate in what does the changes in regulation look like in the new world with the innovation that exists today and the need for transparency and trust. And I just think that it's important for us to embrace that as an industry um, I believe that we have a window of opportunity to be able to get that right together and I think that we could actually create a significant paradigm shift to a world where we have a greater deal of transparency and trust in data and also in behaviour, which is going to allow um, a better and more agile environment for um, consumers going forward if we take advantage of that and and I think that there is a, there's a learning that needs to happen in what does it look like when we all get in the sandpit together and play but I think if there's a willingness to do that and to collaborate I think that that would be um, the way that the industry is going to really transform itself into um, being even better than what it is today. That's it for this episode of the Glass Ceiling Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Ruth for coming on to have a chat. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, your colleagues, your enemies. Um, leave a rating, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you found it. And you can always get in touch with Startup Daily on social media or send me an email at editor at startupdaily.net with any comments or thoughts you might have. But in the meantime, thank you again for listening. And I will be back with a new episode in two weeks time. So tune in there.